Welcome to this podcast on digital responsibility. There's a vibrant community across the world at the moment driving forward corporate digital responsibility, which includes a range of aspects from digital ethics, digital for the environment, sustainability, digital well-being, inclusion, accessibility, and more. My name is Rob Price, one of the founders of Corporate Digital Responsibility back in 2017. If you'd like to know more, have a look at the website corporatedigitalresponsibility.net. Welcome to the second episode in season three of the Digital Responsibility Podcast. Again, exploring a little more around the recently launched International CDR Manifesto. Uh, And tonight I'm joined by Christopher. Uh, Christopher, fellow podcast host, uh, founder of uh, the International CDR Manifesto, along with a number of us, um, and uh, originally did the work with me uh, five years ago to create uh, the Atos and the Worldline version of, of CDR. Uh, welcome, Christopher. Thank you, Rob. It's great to, great to be here. Um, and maybe to have um, just a, well, we're often on these these podcasts together interviewing other people. It'd be nice today to have the chance to explore some of these CDR elements in, in more detail and, and gather our, our holistic thoughts on how the whole thing's progressing. So, um, uh, it's a couple of months now since Tim and I talked through uh, the reasons why Tim, Tim got involved in CDR and, and what it meant to him and uh, his involvement in the manifesto. So perhaps that's a good place for us to start here. How, how, did, uh, how did you get involved in this in the first place? Why was, what, how did we get to CDR? Well, indeed, that, that's taken me some time back now. Um, as a... Um, uh, a graduate starting out in the world of technology consulting, as I was in my um, early days at my prior organization, Atos, um, I was um, kind of starting to understand this world a bit better. And it, it, of course, um, for, for me, I've been a bit of a, a digital native in a lot of the, the things that we use day to day and the things that we've become very comfortable with in our lives whether that be um, paying for things contactlessly with our phone or, or just using these d- new digital products and services. And as a result, not similar to everyone else in the, in the company, in my country, in my position, um, we become almost the, the techies in our families, the people that can, that can help out and troubleshoot issues that parents or grandparents might be ha- having. Um, and, and my uh, thought um, must be six, maybe five or six years ago now, was uh, kind of challenging myself. Why, why is it this way? Why is it that I feel so comfortable with this technology? I'm willing to take risks in inverted pressure marks of going on social media and, and sharing my life on platforms or you know, sharing my data with companies. And yet when my family, when my parents and grandparents get exposed to this new world that's coming our way um, they have an emotion of fear and actually it's it's a bit of a scary world for them it's unknown and therefore they have quite a strong pushback or very slow to pick it up and my open question is how can it be that way why are we letting it be that way and what should we be doing about it and that led to um, our research um, back um, in our time together with, with Atos and, World, and Worldline, um, looking into digital inclusion 
as a topic, what it means today, what it means to be included in this digital world that we live in. And we focus on some specific uh, case studies, whether it be Barclays and their Digital Eagles Initiative, which um, sent Barclays uh, techie people out to care homes to help the older generation get access to uh, technology and use online banking, for example, or, or other initiatives where um, people are helping um, teenagers and younger people get more included in technology and give them access to uh, connectivity and hardware. And we started to come to a broader conclusion that actually, yes, digital inclusion is very important, but it represents one responsibility for organizations um, in this new digital world that perhaps didn't exist previously, or at least has changed since then. And there are many more responsibilities that should perhaps be enshrined in something bigger. And hence, we started to, to coin the term corporate digital responsibility. And I guess that's, uh, that's to an extent, how we ended up being in the position we are in today. And I think the, the almost the shock for us was that um, around the world, it seemed a number of other people number of other organizations or indeed governments had come to similar conclusions not always on 100 percent match but certainly uh, the, mm -hmm. the, the the core piece which was around how do you ensure that there is a uh, a more equal and fairer access to the benefits that technology and data use can provide at a societal level and then then of course some of it very much on an environmental level as well uh, we, we, we then connected the network. So, so yeah. an understanding that it wasn't just, just a few of us uh, around the world, it was actually more of a movement that almost in parallel had concluded some very similar things. And, and, and I think that, that was what then led us to start thinking about how, how do we join those dots? How do we bring some of those people together, bring some of those uh, definitions together and, and the idea of um, aggregating them to what then became the International um, CDR Manifesto. I, I'm, I'm interested about how you felt about that, that journey and, and to some extent, maybe looking back on, on that work, obviously that's been done over the last year or so, um, what the highlights or, or what might you, or, or even what you might do differently. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. What I've noticed, I think, the most over this period of time um, is that uh, in the media, there, uh, um, maybe three, four years ago, there was lots and lots of debate about very specific examples of where things were, in quotes, going wrong. Maybe it was a Facebook um, sharing in, uh, data in the wrong way, or maybe it was examples of where the NHS is um, systems had gone down and, and there was starting to be a, a realization in groups of oh wow okay this is a new thing and it could have potentially harmful effects um, and yet we would go to company events and we would speak to them about digital responsibility and you would ask the seminar question so how do people feel about technology do you think it's leading us to a utopian beautiful future or a dystopian horrible one and and you remember, the vast majority of people went straight to the utopian side of the room. I think everyone. <laughs> they did, didn't they? And we really had to kind of say, are you sure? Is it all positive? Um, and 
um, maybe some of them would would filter over. But there was a genuine, um, I think sincere, other people might say naive, feeling that it's all going to be okay and it's all going to be better one day. And I think that perhaps naivety started to wear off a bit and there's much more of a realism now about technology. And every time we see companies embracing the new international CDR manifesto or forging their own route and understanding what um, digital responsibility means to them. It's another chink in the armor that says, hang on, technology is, um, to quote a very famous film, something giving us great power, but also should therefore create great responsibility to make sure that you don't use this power in the wrong way. And that's been the most satisfying thing to see that re realization. And I'd, I'm hoping in some, some time in the future, when, um, if something was to go wrong again, or, or when companies do things right, they will be recognized for this new um, strategic um, purpose-based imperative that we need to use technology in the right way. And this will flourish as a topic in the years to come. I think that's always been the goal, but it certainly seems like we're much closer to this becoming a mainstream consideration. And I think it is undeniable that, I mean, as you say, if we look at the uh, degree of engagement and activity five or six years ago when we started talking about these things with today, mm -hmm. it's significantly different. It, it's, I think you're, you're right in that organisations have looked at these things piecemeal, but they haven't connected it in a holistic framework that, that enables them to look across the impact of their decisions. And indeed, um, the, the areas in which they can more effectively innovate to solve some of these problems mm. across the board. People, people have operated in silos, but also you only have to look at the activity, not only in the UK and Germany, but spreading out now to Italy uh, in terms of some of the events around digital ethics, Finland in December that we were involved in one. So across Europe, you, uh, don't, you, uh, France, we've also seen things. Across Europe, there's, there's now this focus around, and whether we call it CDR or whether we call it digital ethics or whether we call it AI ethics or digital responsibility, um, then it, it's, it, it's almost mainstream as a conversation, perhaps yeah. not yet mainstream in the context of organizations doing something fundamentally different about it. Mm -hmm. But there's absolutely no appetite. What do you think is the trigger from turning it into a conversation and uh, a belief that something has to change to organizations actually changing, actually doing something different. Is that going to demand policy changes or government um, pressure? Will organizations do it proactively? Will public demand it? What, what do you see as the triggers? Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and um, with a topic we've discussed at length in the past, and um, the the conclusion always tends to be that it will be a combination of those factors, which may be a bit a bit of a cop out, but um, I've always felt that we should uh, look at the journey that corporate social responsibility went on, um, i.e., companies understanding their impact on. Um, the environment and their communities in a more generic sense and actively um, 
addressing that, reporting on it, showcasing what they can do, and the public holding them to account for it. And to an extent, CDR needs to go on a similar journey. Now, what was it that really got CSR going? Because actually, um, environmental considerations is something that uh, was talked about academically, I think in the 60s and the 80s. It's quite some time ago. And there were some real pioneers in that field, companies that went first, the first ones to care about organic um, chicken eggs because the chickens had been looked after properly. And those, those types of organizations that took the first step. Um, so we, we can see um, parallels with where we are now with CDR and where we were then with CSR. And, um, and what, 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 what was it that brought that about? It's a bit of a chicken and egg um, scenario, but you get your, your Greta Thunbergs and your up, up, um, uh, uprising of, of public opinion. You get your um, uh, uh, ethical investment funding and, and these new economies now orientated around um, doing the right thing for the environment. Um, and you get your, your enhanced regulation and these all things come together. So I, I think in a similar way, we'll bubble to the top. And um, what's clear to me and what's quite important to me is that it has to happen quicker. Just due to the nature of the beast that we're working with, technology is working at such a pace that um, we can't afford to go through a, a slow cook on this one. We need to get ahead of the curve because otherwise we could um, we could lead to something bad happening in the future, uh, the worst case dystopian scenario. And I've always had a little part of me think that we might end up waiting for that really, really bad thing to happen for society to wake up a bit and realize that they need to start doing the good things more or avoid doing the bad things going forwards. <laughs> That's the slightly more which, 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 all, which always comes back to that kind of question that I remember uh, being asked six, seven years ago in terms of show me organisations that have changed, fundamentally changed the way in which they operated, reinvented their model, pivoted at, at scale before they had to because they had failed. And it's really difficult. That It's mm. really difficult to identify those. But of course, your, your points there in terms of all beautifully illustrated by the the previous three conversations that we've had on on the podcast actually in slightly surreally season four um <laughs> where, where we were talking the first with Merck around their digital ethics work that they're driving forward in the organization and and then Emma with the Kogo piece enabling personal carbon measurement because of related to our spend and the payments so that's more consumer behavior driven um, and then finally with Charles and the work that he'd been doing with Ethics Grade around benchmarking and reporting, which of course, again, is, is, is one of those key, key things around why did CSR embed? Because, because organisations had to firmly demonstrate actively what they were doing as part of, 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 of conducting business in that sense. So let's, let's bring it back to the principles then. And, and I think I was very conscious when I spoke to Tim, um, we, we've probably all got a slight bias if you like or affinity with some of the principles more than others um uh, and i guess in your case where we were starting to think about it from a digital divide and access to opportunity maybe starting with the 
third principle around societal well-being seems a good place to start because that covers many of the aspects that of course we were taking talking about in those those early days but so, so so what's your take on on societal well-being and and how how do we how do organizations actually make a real impact in that space yes clearly gdpr is at the forefront of the focus for many organizations over the last few years because of the reputational damage and the financial consequences of getting that wrong so so the whole data practices piece digital poverty perhaps is more of a an emerging term and understanding about maturity of skills in 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 the space what does it mean to you so how how can organizations promote societal well-being and make a better um a, a better environment for people to prosper First of all, you're absolutely right. This is an area, and perhaps principles three and four represent a zone of the International Manifesto that resonate most closely with me. And I think the reason for that is that I've always been in favour in these digital responsibility conversations that we are able to personalise and bring human warmth to what could be a very tinny, cold, hard place of technology discussion it's ai it's um, it's all these new uh, interfaces that we we work with day to day it's social media it can be very um kind of we can disassociate ourselves with people and indulge ourselves in technology conversation and yet uh, corporate digital responsibility um, is is largely going to be felt the benefit that it brings and the uh, kind of uh, the people, uh, the, the, the actual impact it's going to have on our society is going to be felt by people, by, by individuals that, um, that will uh, be kind of protected from some of the negative externalities of this digital transformation that our society is going through. I think that's really important. So to your point around societal well-being, actually... Um, you could define corporate digital responsibility about protecting against the vulnerabilities that form within our society. And those vulnerabilities are new and they're sometimes difficult to contend with. And uniquely, they can affect all of us at any one point in time, I believe. So yes, they might be more prominent in in an older generation, or a really, really young generation, but actually um, they could apply to to all of us according to our kind of life events that we're going through. So someone might be considered financially vulnerable in their day-to-day lives and therefore more at risk of um, um, being automated out of their their job and therefore losing their, their access to their income, for example. Um, someone could be at risk of being socially excluded and becoming um, kind of getting this sense of loneliness, which is such a, an evil in our society, being lonely and not having compassion around you. And that, that is a, a risk for people. Um, our health and well-being, um, our physical and mental state and how we, we are day to day, being discriminated against um, because of a, a trait in ourselves, um, accessibility and the ability to interact and engage with the world around us 
in the same way as everyone else and privacy and being ex exposed to threats to our privacy and having our our information and, and ourselves shared in places that we don't want it to be misinformation people might be more or less at risk of being misguided by the information that they influence or indeed and um, people's um, career and their working life and how um, their their jobs and the way they they are employed might change in the future these are all factors that are very very personal and individual to each of us inherent part of our well-being as citizens that are going to be impacted by this digital technology and these new business models that are coming our way. And one of the best ways of measuring our um, CDR's impact on society and to what extent this conversation that we're having now is working and getting through to uh, the companies that have um, the chance to change this is understanding and capturing examples of where people are having their, their privacy maintained or they aren't um, being exposed to misinformation. And those, all those good examples of where we are doing the right thing for the, the human, for the person at the far end. I think that's very important. I guess the biggest challenge is, is sometimes what is the right thing? How do you determine and how do you get consensus around the right thing because of the polarization of views? So if we're talking about something that is a significant and obvious harm, then that's easier, but there are many gray areas that yes. uh, make, make it very tricky. And, and, and certainly with some of these emergent, um, well, the continual kind of stream of emergent uh, technology things, uh, and, and whether we were talking, I mean, before the call, we were talking about crypto and blockchain and, mm. and, and, and how a teenage population might look at that versus how an older population might look at that. Or we mm -hmm. could talk about the metaverse. And, and, and yes, we get it conceptually and we've probably seen films or we've seen, read books that describe a vision of how things can be. Um, but, but, but in terms of knowing exactly how it will operate and knowing exactly what regulation might need to be or consider or protections might but well, we're not there yet and and, and it's difficult for mm -hmm. um, people on mass to envisage necessarily the the consequential impact of some of those things what's important is the ability to react maybe quicker than we have been doing yes. as 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 governments or as regulatory bodies or even actually as kind of very large organizations once once those things are begun to be observed or, or, or effectively considered? Indeed. Um, the um, uh, third principle in the manifesto uses the phrase, um, the harmful consequences of digital products and services. And that raises the big question, who is describing, defining what harmful entails um, uh, from, from whom's perspective um, uh, is that coming from? And, and that might differ massively from one person to another. And indeed, it might change rapidly over time. As indeed, if we look uh, maybe 20 years um, back in time, if, if, if a nine-year-old Christopher was to look ahead to the future and see how we're, we're living our lives day to day, 
that society might consider this one to be harmed by the technology that's uh, clouded us. Maybe it's um, I'd walk out the door and see everybody with a head down in their phone. Maybe they, they consider that to be harmful. Yet, would we not produce phones as a result? Would we make them uh, less interesting and engaging for us? Would we stop ourselves being able to engage with people all around the world or consume content from individual YouTubers or, or podcasters such as ourselves? Um, no, you probably wouldn't. But um, there's that very, as you put it, gray, fuzzy line of how do you balance progress with um, the varying possibility and degree of risk around harmful or positive effects. And that uh, perspective, that, that thought process is, is changes in all of us and it changes between us. And that's what makes CDR such a fascinating puzzle to solve or at least discuss. <laughs> so, so, so I think, I think principle three, if, if, if people read that, then I suspect most people wouldn't have any issue with the kind of things that it talks about. It's kind of pretty clear in terms of the areas of focus and and indeed correlates with much of the discussion um, in, in topics that people recognise like fake news or data privacy and, and, and governance, etc. Principle four, I, I, I kind of find perhaps a harder one sometimes for people to, to, to access, but I think it's fundamental in, in the context of this point that we mentioned earlier around reasons to change, because it's considering the economic impact um, of some of those things that we're talking about in terms of needs for change. It's whether whether that's thinking about automation and and, and consequences on 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 a, on, on a community or a, a workforce and and the impact of retraining or. Or, or, or how how people react to that. So sustainable automation, or thinking about third-party data use, or or AI algorithms, and 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 bias, and and uh, confirming that they are appropriate in in the nature of uh, the way in which they're used, and also thinking about different economic models aside from perhaps the economic model that we seem to have got, which is uh, I, we agree to give you all our data and you can monetize it how you like. <laughs> Uh, but but to actually think about different models that make more sense perhaps um, to, uh, to to individuals, um, it's 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 perhaps a more challenging one because it some people will see it as challenging the nature of economic models that we're very used to dealing with over the last fifty years, um, but it kind of sits very. Um, alongside much of the things, many of the things that we're talking about in terms of societal well-being. What, what are the things that stand out for you for, from Principle 4? Um, I absolutely agree that this, this, this topic, um, number four, considering economic and social, societal impact of our actions as companies, um, represents a more perhaps complex uh, topic. Um, and actually... Um, I suppose, brings our attention to the shifts that we see in our society. Um, and they've been happening for some time now. We talk about the new platform economy, and it's not actually new anymore. Um, the likes of Amazon and eBay and social media platforms and all these things have been hit around and have been transforming and changing for quite some time. 
Um, I think it's, it's most interesting, actually, when we look at industries that haven't really been on that journey fully yet. I, I can think of one quite close to home to me as a Jacobs Energy and Utility kind of consultant. Um, I look at the, the business model that a water company operates, for example, tasked with taking water from the environment, bringing it to the customer's home and taking the waste away uh, and clean it and put it back into the environment. Um, the change in their business model driven by technology in the years to come is should be absolutely wholesale and massive. As you move from an organization that is based on being kind of responsive and uh, living in the moment of what's in people's experience in minds, and you have people that have worked for these organizations for 30, 40, 50 years, and, and a, a built a, a, a bank of knowledge in their heads, to whole systems that are now run by artificial intelligence, because to an extent, they are predictable, and you should be able to see water flowing around the network. You should be able to know um, the impact of a rain or a storm in a local area. And um, you should be able to find an optimal um, number of, of actions to take to achieve an optimal outcome. And, and that shift towards um, driving this decision-making with intelligence and reorientating the organization to be agile enough to act on that and collaborate with it in the future could have really beneficial impacts for how we treat our water, which is such an important um, resource for our society. And yet, it could lead to high automation of people. And it could lead to outlaw, outlaw that people are so concerned about that job that they've had their whole lives and they're no longer required for because this intelligence has come along and um, kind of utilized that information that they were consuming before which creates a real challenge. There's a balance there. Do you, as a water company, go for the natural outcome that you might lead to? Higher performance outcomes, lower cost base, lower cost to the customer, everyone's happy. Or do you stick uh, with your, your employing um, world and, and you retain your, your people and you, you try to do as little disruption as possible? That's a kind of uh, ethical balance that organizations are going to need to understand as they consider their economic and societal impact in the future. Um, I'm not sure I have the right answer for them. They're going to need to find a way that works for them. And, and I think that, that comes back to the point about the framework. It's a framework. So, so it's, it's, it's helping organizations explore some of those areas. It's, it's asking the questions, but it's not, it's not necessarily stating that the answer is the same for everybody. Indeed, we know from the conversations that we've had that the, um, the, the, the priority, for example, between the different principles or the different aspects of the principles is going to differ based on market. It's going to differ based on geography. I mean, our, our focus has been very much to try and make sure that the breadth of the framework is made available to as many people as possible um, in as many languages and as many kind of parts of the world um, to just help them along their journey and it's not about saying that any of these is any more right or wrong uh, than other things that are out there but it's about mm -hmm. connecting the work and the thinking that's taken place in a number of academic and a number of 
um, organizational spaces um, and making it accessible. And, and, and to your point of following the journey of CSR, it, it's about trying to accelerate some of that because people no longer need to reinvent the wheel or redo the thinking. It's, it's, it's iterative, it's building upon and continues to build upon. And I'm sure that uh, the, the, the work that's been done to date will continue to iterate further as more people contribute into it. Absolutely. Um, uh, I, I was um, thinking this, this through and writing some notes ahead of the, the podcast today. Um, and one of my overwhelming feelings is that actually we might consider that technology and digital and this future that we're moving towards is actually allowing us to bring real creativity to how we define responsibility in this new world. And uh, I took that from the wording of principle four um, uh, to kind of uh, fairer share of gains and minimize our economic impact on the communities. And, and who are the communities for these digital organizations? Well, actually, um, that's difficult to determine and be very specific about. It's not necessarily the local area of the branch that we have anymore. When you close the branch and now you have an online app, actually, because we don't have the bounds of those physical environments so much anymore, that should allow us to be more creative and bring more innovation to how we have a positive impact on the communities that we work in. And, and that's what's exciting to me, to your point. The manifesto isn't providing all the answers. It's simply trying to create the conversation with a bit of structure and a bit of clarity on what the scope of this thing might be. And then if we see organizations having this discussion amongst themselves and understanding what impact they're having and how they can do things better in the future, then we'll have been successful. Um, so all those international translations of the manifesto are a wonderful sign that that message is starting to get out there. And long may it continue. Um, and I think that combined with your beautiful link with the water um, uh, example uh, just now, uh, hooking into kind of principles five, six and seven, which we'll cover in the next podcast in season three, looking at sustainability in the environment and the economic impact of that space um, is probably a good way to wrap up the conversation. So I think, I, so. I, I, I think from my point of view, Christopher, then thank you for uh, the work that you continue to do on this and, and the contribution that you've made uh, as part of not only the International uh, Manifesto, but the work before that and, and going forward. My final question is, is I, I, I think if we look to the rest of 2022, um, we're already in February, um, what, what, what might you think might be the next iteration? What, what one thing would you highlight as an interesting build on the work that's been done to date that would be a good thing to achieve uh, in the remainder of this year? Oh, that's a good question. You've caught me on that one. Um, I would go back to my point earlier in the discussion, uh, not to sound like a broken record, um, but uh, if CDR and the benefits of it can be felt in the community, and those people that maybe wouldn't have um, uh, seen the benefits of digitalization and digital business models or, or wouldn't have felt included or um, kind of 
open or accessible to this digital world, if those people start to feel positive benefit and we see clear examples of companies making this happen, then I think that would really start to flourish and we'd see so many more examples of that. And it would start to become a distinguishing factor for organizations. We are digitally responsible. This is what it means to us. And that's why you should buy our products and services. That's why you should work for us. And that's why you should invest in us. Um, and, and when that kind of flow starts to, to come forward, as we've seen it start to in small streams, I suppose, um, then, then we'll, we really will be winning. And, and that's really exciting to me. So I, I envisage uh, more of that to happen in 2022. Which, which of course is, which of course is a brilliant link again to uh, principle five uh, and the work around uh, organisations accelerating and innovating to train change uh, and create sustainable consumer behaviours. Because if there is a demand that's evolving, to your point at the start of the conversation, organisations will then follow to ensure that that demand uh, works in the most effective way from a. Uh, um, an, an economic and financial perspective, as well as doing the right thing. Absolutely. Uh, Christopher, thank you. Been a pleasure. Uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks, Rob. Speak soon. Cheers.